Production of AutoLine this week is underwritten in part by... Did you know advanced high-strength steels are the leading material used by automakers to achieve the new fuel economy standards? Advanced high-strength steels are lighter in weight and reduce greenhouse gas emissions without compromising safety, performance, or affordability. Steel, a sound, sustainable investment. Today, tomorrow, and beyond. For more information, visit autosteel.org. You know why I pulled you over, ma'am? I need you to recalibrate the Doppler shift on the return signal. Radar's on the frisk. Do Sonata drivers know something you don't? The Sonata from Hyundai. Let's talk truth. When buying a car, we all want a great deal. Yet it's possible you could pay thousands more for the same car as your neighbor. That's why True Car provides upfront pricing information and a network of True Car certified dealers that guarantee savings without negotiation. Now, if someone paid too much for their car, well, it won't be you. So, when buying a car, get guaranteed savings. Visit TrueCar.com. And now, here is your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week, where we're going to be talking all about engines, and that's because I've got a good chunk of the Ward's Auto staff here with me who do the 10 Best Engines Award every year. And joining us for the show are Drew Winter, Christy Schweinsberg, Steve Finley, and Tom Murphy. Great having you all here. Thank you. And Thank you. Drew, you got to tell me, how long have you been doing this award? Well, this, we're in our 19th year now, so quite a while. And, uh, you know, our, our list is a little different from, from a lot of the other lists that are out there that are either enthusiast-oriented or, or um, uh, efficiency-oriented, where uh, we do have a price cap of $55,000. So Not per engine. You mean per no, car now. Right, per, for, for What's car. the thinking behind that? Well, the idea is we certainly we want uh, uh, more of a uh, – we, we want to uh, recognize – um, engineering achievements and good engines in mainstream cars. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to make a great engine for a car that costs $150,000. What we want to do is pick the engines that uh, in, in uh, the high-volume mainstream cars. Tom, how do you go about evaluating these things? Because I imagine it's a little bit difficult to separate the rest of the car from just evaluating is, the engine. It is, but, you know, just to Drew's point on one thing, to clarify, it's only the new engines that we evaluate each year. So an engine that has been significantly re-engineered or improved with some way by integration of some new uh, valve control system or uh, direct injection or significantly more horsepower, those are the engines that are going to be in the running. A clean sheet, all new engine, that's definitely going to be in the competition. But it's not just any engine that's in production already. It's got to be something that's all new in the marketplace. So this year we had 40 engines that we evaluated. That, that means the 10 engines from last year's competition plus 30 all-new or significantly improved engines. Um, and yeah, the way we evaluate them, we don't put them on a dyno, we don't take them to a track, we don't, I mean, this is seat of pants, real-world driving in our daily commute. So it's on the highway, it's in the city, it's, it's in the neighborhoods. Christy, walk me through your evaluation process. You get in the car, you start the engine, take me from there, or take our viewers from there. Uh, always reset the fuel economy which may or may not. The, the trip computer on, right, the, on right. the instrument. Uh, to, uh, to get an accurate read for myself, for my driving style. Um, and just in, the thing about 10 best engines is you drive it as you would drive your own vehicle. You know, we're not doing any crazy 
maneuvers. We're not, you know, putzing along to get the best fuel economy. We're really just driving it in our daily lives. So drive it home, drive it to the grocery store, take it for the weekend up north, come back. You know, there might be stop and go traffic on 75. Well, that's great because, you know, that's, that's how people are going to really live with the cars. Steve, I imagine, too, you've got to look at all the specs and data and things like that. But so much of it's got to be even just listening to the engine, I would imagine. Listening to the engine, feeling the engine, the whole works. What we also have to do is if you've just driven a, engine, a car with a V8 and then you get into an EV, you have to recalibrate yourself as to what you're driving because obviously they're very different engines for a very different consumer group. And you, you can't compare the two, obviously. So we're, we're always making that calibration as to, okay, what are we driving? How much does it cost versus, you know, its, its segment competitors? How do different kinds of engines perform, i.e. gasoline versus diesel versus electric or hybrid? Well, you know, it, it, it uh, depends on what you're looking for. Uh, we, we, and really, our list reflects a, a really a, a broad variety of engines. We usually have uh, uh, some V8, some V6s, I4s, and, and recently we've included electric vehicles and, and extended uh, uh, electric vehicles like the Chevy Volt on there as well. So we get a, we try to get a wide variety again to reflect. Uh, the American pl- marketplace and, and changing technology. So it's, 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 it's a big variety. So how are the hybrids and electrics and diesels all stacking up against the gasoline engine? Well, this year uh, we had some very interesting hybrids in the competition. We, we had three pure battery electrics. We had uh, eight hybrids in total. So that's including straight hybrids plus plug-in hybrids. Um, and then we didn't have any diesels at all in the competition. The, the uh, Volkswagen two-liter diesel uh, was in was on the list actually for three years, and then it, it was voted off I think last year. Uh, so it doesn't come back in the competition until it's you know until it's all new. So I, there no, there's been no significantly right, new diesel. Exactly. Right. So, so now there's uh, a number of new diesels coming next year that will be in the competition. There's from Mazda. There's the Chevy Cruze. There's also the three liter from the. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if it's three liter, but in the uh, Grand, Jeep Cherokee, Grand Cherokee. Jeep Grand Cherokee, and then also the. Uh, the Audi Q7 TDI, which we were supposed to have in this year's competition, but they couldn't get us a car in time. So anyway, but none of the hybrids, none of the electrified vehicles made the list. Why not? They, they were close. There were a number of them that were very close. But at the end of the day, we, we just weren't blown away. We weren't convinced that the vehicles in the competition this year significantly raised the bar beyond the hybrids that we had seen in the past. I mean, the, the Prius has made the list three times over the last 15 years, I, I think in the last 15 years, each time the Prius was new, it kind of raised the bar. It, 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 it brought us something new that we hadn't seen before. And this time, um, you know, even though some of the plug-ins, I, I thought that the C-Max plug-in hybrid was quite good. I really enjoyed driving that. I, you know, I accelerated up to 80 miles per hour in pure electric mode. I'm thinking this is okay. This is all right. Getting on the freeway, you know, it's not that bad. But um, at the end of the day, we, we just couldn't really uh, see it beating the other gasoline engines that you know that did make the list. Well, and well, we're, we're, one of the things we're noticing, and probably the general public is too, is that some of the novelty of electrified mm-hmm. vehicles is wearing out. Now we have a 220 uh, plug, a, a fast charge plug, at our offices in our parking lot, and then we usually have uh, most of us have access to at least 110. To, to plug it in at home as well. But um, what, we're, what we're finding is just that with the increased efficiency of the new gasoline engines that are coming out, 
Um, and then kind of getting used to electric vehicles and saying, well, okay, it's fun, but you know, the plugging in part is getting to be less fun. Um, and then on EVs, the worrying about the range anxiety issue is, is, is very significant. So it's, it's a little bit of uh, just the novelty wearing off. And uh, um, now we're kind of sitting there raising the bar, I think, on, on electrified vehicles as sort of what kind of hurdles they have to cross to be considered equal to some of the best uh, gasoline engines. We need to see more range. We need to see range well above 100 miles per, per gallon. Per I'm charge. Sorry, 100 miles per charge. Uh, you know, to really make us feel comfortable, you know, that range anxiety can be uh, mitigated. Yeah, range extent. anxiety is very real. And I would also note, to your point about the novelty, is that the uh, Volt uh, and the, uh, the the Chevy Volt and the Nissan Leaf were previous uh, best engines. Uh, and that was that had a lot to do with the fact that they were first to market and very new and novel. And now, as you say, Drew, the, the bar is up there and it's got to be more than just an electric or electrified engine. Christy, how do you separate evaluating an engine from the kind of transmission it's with? Because that makes a huge difference, whether it's a manual or a regular automatic or even a continuously variable transmission. It does, and for me personally, it's it's very difficult. I don't know that I can. Um, I, I think. Oh my gosh, an honest journalist. <laughs> All right, I love it. Um, you know, there were some vehicles we tested this year, the transmission was horrible, and you can't discount that. You know, I mean, it's impossible to do. Uh, so I've not been able to successfully separate the two. Um, I, I think, you know, certainly the name of the award is 10 Best Engines, but I think we're looking at the powertrain holistically. It's a I, challenge. I, yeah, truly it is a challenge. And there are people who say, well, you know, is this an engine competition or a transmission competition? Well, to some extent it's both because it is the holistic integration of the engine and the transmission. How well does it turn the wheels? How well does it move all this mass? You know, and so, for instance, um, in the two-liter turbo segment, which, I mean, you know, it's flush. That, that segment is just full right now, and, and we have three of them on the list this year. Um, you know, the BMW two-liter turbo, um, is, is great and has been on the list now for two years. Um, it has an eight-speed automatic transmission, which in the three series it makes a huge difference. I mean, it gave us 28, 29 miles per gallon you know, in a car that size with plenty of power and never feels slow, and, and the, the shifting is always very seamless. Well, um, that same size engine in the Cadillac ATS with a six-speed automatic uh, was like six miles per gallon uh, worse than the BMW. So, I mean, the Cadillac engine also made the list. I mean, it, you know, it's great engine and all, but it just shows you the difference in these transmissions um, that where, you know, the transmission can make a huge difference in our experience of, of, of the, you know, how well it, it, it turns the wheels and um, how well it impresses us in terms of shift quality. Also, the CVT in the, in the new Honda Accord, the 2.4 liter, uh, four-cylinder, which also made the list. I mean, that CVT is a is a is a big reason why the you know why that engine makes it onto the list again uh, because that that CVT is you know I think it's probably one of the best CVTs I've ever driven. It's very smooth. It's it, it's it's tremendous. And then we also drove that same engine with a six-speed manual transmission. All of us are kind of predisposed to enjoying the manual transmission because it's the best way to truly isolate the engine and experience all that shifting on your own. If you want to run it to redline, you run it to redline. You, know, you don't have anything interfering with that. So, um, yeah, the transmission is a, is a, is a key factor. But well, to answer your, your initial question, we try to get everything with a manual when we can. Which is getting For the very reason that Tom yes. just mentioned, yeah, because yeah. not all cars offer manual yeah, right. transmission. Except that a lot of the automatics that we're driving these days are more 
you know, they're, they're more efficient. It used to be in the old days that the manual was always your, you know, your choice if you wanted the fuel efficiency. Well, now with these multi-speed automatics and, and some of these CVTs, I mean, you're, you're doing significantly better than with even a six-speed manual. Well, let's go through some of the engines then. Tom, you mentioned you had three two-liter turbos, three different two-liter two yep. turbos on them. Yep. Why don't you name them? Let's talk about that a bit and then get the, to some of the okay. others. Yeah, the, the three uh, two-liter turbos are from BMW, the two-liter um, in, in the uh, 328, the Cadillac ATS two-liter turbo, also the Ford Focus uh, ST, and also the Taurus uh, using the same two-liter turbo EcoBoost. Uh, from the Germans, we have the Audi S5, which is a, a supercharged 3-liter uh, V6. We also have, uh, from BMW, the 135iS, which is the 3-liter inline-six turbo uh, N55 engine. Just a fabulous uh, package. And then also the two Honda Accord engines, the 2.4-liter uh, inline-four and then the 3.5-liter uh, V6. And then also the Ram 1500 with the 3.6-liter Pentastar, which... I didn't think it was going to have much of a chance, you know, a, a, an engine moving a full-size truck because, you know, the mileage is not going to be great. But I, there was no argument about that engine. It, it, you know, it made the list with no problem at all. And then I think the last one that I haven't mentioned is the Subaru BRZ, which is the, the two-liter FA uh, uh, engine, you know, the boxer engine in the BRZ, 200 horsepower, which is 100 horsepower per liter in a naturally aspirated package, which, you know, you don't see that very often. Uh, Light, you know, again, uh, low mass, lots of power, uh, great package. What are some of the trends that you're all seeing in engines these days? I mean, there's some obvious ones like turbocharging really coming on strong, but what are some of the others? Well, certainly uh, smaller displacements, we've seen that. I mean, the, the idea of a, of a little four-cylinder engine powering a, a, a big Ford Taurus would be unheard of not long ago. Uh, so a lot less V8s. Uh, a lot less V6s, and essentially the V6s are replacing the V8s, and the V8s are becoming more uh, specialty, uh, uh, specialty power uh, power plants. The one, the V8 that made this year's engine was the, is the biggest, baddest production V8 there is. It's uh, the um, the V8 in the um, Mustang um, GT500 makes 662 horsepower, which is just unheard of. <laughs> And plus, it doesn't have a gas guzzler tax, and it gets maybe 25 miles per gallon on the highway. Now, it's not everybody's cup of tea or whatever, but that's pretty amazing uh, engineering. And when we went to, uh, Ford made a presentation to us of all their engines, and they, they went with all the hybrids and, and all their small displacement engines, and then the GT500 guy got up and said, well, I'm the guy that burns up all the gas that these guys are saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I said that if that didn't make the 10 best engines, it should make the 10 beast engines yeah. because it's a beast of an engine. But it's also a pretty decent engine. It has a lot of technology in, in it. And, uh, good engineering, and, I mean, uh, basically. You know, good thermodynamic at, engineering. At, and We looked at, I think, three good V8s, yes. and, you know, so to, to your point that uh, V8s are not dead. Maybe they're going to go niche uh, more than they have been, but um, they're still alive and well. But the sub-2-liter engines, I mean, that's just amazing to me because you, you hardly ever saw in the U.S. an engine under 2 liters, and now we're seeing a ton of them, and there's a lot of them that are very and, and good. And Taurus, and yeah. a full-size Taurus, as well as the uh, Focus. So talk about a range of vehicles. And Christy, what are, what are some of the trends that you've picked up on in your evaluation? Uh, pretty much the same. I mean, you know, smaller engines, the vehicles really aren't getting any smaller, but the engines keep getting smaller, but as powerful or more powerful than the engine that came before it. So 
um, that's that's a pretty big change. And certainly the electrification uh, of vehicles, as Tom mentioned, we tested a lot of hybrids, plug-in hybrids, a couple of pure EVs. Um, they didn't quite do it for us this year, but maybe next year. You know, we're we're still at the infancy of these vehicles, it's important to remember. I think everybody expects them to be great out of the chute, but were internal combustion engines great out of the chute? No, it's taken decades of refinement, so. So in terms of technology, I mean, something that we did notice this year, uh, direct injection has been the rage. Everybody's going with, with DI for a lot of different engine, engine platforms. And this year, uh, well, you know, Chrysler kind of put the stake in the ground with the Pentastar and said, you don't always need direct injection. And they make a, a pretty solid case that you still get great performance. And that engine in our competition has gone up against DI engines in its direct class for the past two or three years. And, you know, it, it has beaten the DI competitor each time. And Chrysler makes a pretty, a pretty potent case in, in terms of the cost benefits of, you know, not integrating DI. Something else that we're seeing a lot of, um, even more so this year, um, variable valve timing, a, a lot of intricate controls of the valve train to, to help the engine to breathe better. Uh, the Fiat 500 Abart having, um, uh, you know, having the multi-air system, which is a hydraulic valve control system, uh, infinitely variable. Uh, fascinating technology. Didn't make the list, but it was, you know, but it was close. Well, the Pentastera engine won last year uh, in the Chrysler 300, and this year in the Ram, the Ram. And the big question, everybody loved the engine, but uh, the big question from the beginning was, could that small engine power that big truck? And the answer is yes, it could. And so I'm starting to wonder, we've gone from V8s in trucks to now V6s. Is there someday going to be a V4 in a, in pulling a full-size truck? Kind of doubt it. Or I4, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You, you, think, think, you, you think V6 is as low as you can go? I don't know. I, I have of course, I never motorcycles. Yeah, I never would have said that, that a, that a four-cylinder could move a car the size of the Taurus or, or the Explorer either. So. Well, the other thing, too, that I, I find amazing is if you go back, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, the magic, uh, the holy grail for engine designers was to try to get to 100 horsepower per liter. Yeah. Now I want to say something like the, the Focus ST is 125 horsepower per liter. I mean, it just blew right through what was the benchmark. Yeah. And I'm talking about the benchmark for very expensive, exotic sports cars. And now you get this little pocket rocket called the ST that, you know, has blown mm -hmm. through that. But now even GM beats that with the Cadillac ATS, um, 136 horsepower per liter. Last year, um, the, the previous generation of that engine in the uh, Buick uh, Regal GS made 135 horsepower per liter, and we had never seen anything like that before. So yeah, that, that you're right. You know, the Holy Grail was 100, you know, 100 horsepower per liter. Now in our competition, that's the price of entry. It seems like for a lot of engines, you know, if you're not at it or close to it. So isn't it all the electronics too that have made such a difference? Because you could go back a couple of decades ago, and there were plenty of turbo engines. But it, they were almost like on-off switches. They took a long time to have yeah. the power come on, and then it came on like the a sledgehammer. Yeah. Saab Viggen, yeah. The turbo lag, the spray and pray. And, and now with the direct injection, variable cam timing, uh, and the electronics, not only controlling the engine, but matching it with the transmission, just seems to be, to me at least, some of the magic that we've really seen come about just very recently, I'd say, what, in the, the last four or five years. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and they, it's, it's the, their ability to control the actual combustion event has really changed. And so, uh, and then also what we're seeing really is 
the need being forced by fuel economy and emission standards now has the resources and the money pouring into these engine programs where in some cases they're just applying a lot of technology that was out there but they couldn't couldn't afford to do it now they can't afford to do it or have to and so we're seeing a lot of advanced technologies flowing into small mainstream engines which is making them much more powerful and much more efficient so where do you all see this going? I mean, you've been doing this for almost 20 years right now. Where do you see engine technology going? You know, it seems like every year it's fascinating just to, you know, you, you don't really know until you're deep into the competition and you've got 40 engines on a piece of paper that you're evaluating and you start to, you start to put two and two together and realize, you know, the, the, the transformation that you're witnessing in, you know, in terms of, of uh, powertrain development. Um, I'm thinking already to next year's list, and I already have my, my list so far of what we're going to evaluate next year for 2014. So that Mazda diesel engine with a compression ratio of 14 to 1, very compelling, very interesting. So uh, diesel compression ratios are coming down, gasoline compression ratios are going up. So, you know, it's about efficiency, it's about, it, uh, you know, reducing knocks in the, you know, in the diesel side. But um, next year we're going to have the small block V8 from GM. Uh, which, you know, we've, we've gotten the full debrief on that, you know, the download on, on all the technology in the small block, and I, you know, I, I just can't wait to get my hands on it and drive it, uh, whether it's in a pickup or a Corvette or whatever. Uh, again, you know, that $55,000 price cut is, is, you know, is going to be fairly important. I don't know if we'll get the Corvette uh, with that engine, but at least we'll get a pickup or something else with that engine. Well, another thing, in a year or two, we might be testing fuel cell vehicles, depending on uh, where, their, where their price uh, uh, falls. Uh, but um, that, that's just going to be an amazing event, too. I mean, I, we've all driven some fuel cell prototypes and, 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 and whatnot in the past, but to actually drive a fuel cell production vehicle, which a, a number of automakers now are talking about bringing out around 2015, that's going to be another thing that I just never thought I'd live to see. It's, mm-hmm. it's incredible. And then talk about at the opposite end of the spectrum, of the big V8s, uh, Ford has this little three-cylinder, one-liter engine. Yeah. Over in Europe, Fiat's got a two-cylinder, sub-one-liter engine. What do you all make of these inky-dinky little engines coming out? Yeah. Well, I, I just drove the Fiesta with the one-liter uh, and just loved it. In fact, I, I drove the one-liter in the Focus. They, uh, Ford had a European Focus here in the U.S. for us to drive, and I was like, wow, this is astounding. You know, I was think I calculated, like, 38 or 39 miles per gallon in that Focus. And now, last week, driving the Fiesta with that engine, that, that's the actual car that they're going to sell in the U.S. Uh, next year, uh, 43, 44 miles per gallon. And, you know, we were hammering this car. We, we were not going easy on it. Uh, never at any time do you feel like there's a lot of uh, uh, turbo lag. There's not a lot of thrashing about. It's like all these issues that used to you know, that used to be endemic in four-cylinder engines, all the, you know, the, the four-banger moniker, you know, that that is gone, I, I, I think. You know, most of the engines that we're driving, they're very refined. And, you know, you'd think that a three-cylinder engine would have a lot of NVH problems. You know, there's special engine mounts and, and, and other damping methods. That, you know, they've, they've really solved a lot of these problems. So, I, you know, a three-cylinder engine, I, I think, yeah, we're going to see a lot more of those in the next several years. As Drew was saying, anybody can make a $150,000 engine or a car that costs that much with a quality engine in it. But the revolutionary thing is that so much attention is being paid to these smaller engines, these very inexpensive engines. It might be a kind of iffy business model or business proposition. It's like, you know, are you going to get enough profit back, but they're doing it for different reasons. One of it is compliance with uh, you know, new standards of fuel economy, but the fact that they're doing it is quite amazing. 
I don't think it is an iffy business model. I, I, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense in that, uh, you know, if you can put out a vehicle that, that feels like it's no compromise at all, like, you know, that Fiesta with the three, you know, with the three-cylinder engine, um, if there's no compromise, then, you know, then there's no problem. Once, once a consumer feels like, oh, this, this isn't as good as the four-cylinder I had in my 1984 Honda Civic or whatever, you know, that, that's when you're going to run into problems. But it seems like automakers are getting pretty wise and pretty savvy to the idea that there, there just can't be any compromise at all. And, and, you know, to Steve's point, yeah, they have to sell these vehicles to, to hit the cafe nut. Um, and so, you know, and to Drew's point, that's exactly right. You know, for Ford to continue selling something like the GT500, they've got to load up the market at the other end. Um, it's all about the balance in the fleet. You know, if you if you load up with all, the, you know, with a lot of good small engines that people are more than happy to drive, then you're fine because your you know your average overall is going to go up and might allow you to still sell a 662 horsepower supercar and sell out. By the way, <laughs> you know, I got to imagine too that when you get down to two and three cylinders, there is a cost savings. I mean, you're eliminating pistons and rings and valves and even though you're adding things like turbochargers and variable valve timing and direct injection and all that stuff, if you can chop out some of those cylinders and valves, there's definitely a cost savings. Well, except, except I just I did a story on this recently and talked to some of the piston makers and the valve makers and everything else, and what, what is happening is, yeah, the number of what they make is going down, but the, the cylinder pressures and all the things that, that the, the high heat and, and, and pressures that are going on to make these engines more powerful and more power dense means you have to put more engineering into those pistons and valves. And in some cases they're talking about making them out of steel rather than aluminum and all this. So there's a lot of fancy engineering that's going to raise the price of those fewer cylinders. So um, there, there are trade-offs in everything. But but you, you make a point where, yes, yeah, some of the cost, at least cost areas, is going to go down. Tom, we're down to the, the very last minute yeah. or so of the show. Well, what's the industry's reaction to your award? Um, well, we haven't announced it yet. Uh, we, no, but I mean over the 19 years. Oh, um, we've gained traction with it every single year that, you know, that, that we've announced it. Uh, when it started out as a, a, you know, a small event in a, in a cold, dank basement at, the, you know, at Kobo Center during the auto show, it was... Barely anybody came, and, and then next year more people came, and the year after that it got a little bigger, and then eventually we you know we had it set up in a in a in a small ballroom there at, at Kobo, and and then eventually we had to move over to the Pontchartrain. Uh, now it's a big ballroom. Now it's a huge ballroom at the Rensen, <laughs> yeah. and 500 people come, and it's a big lunch, and we have you know the jumbotron with the video packages, and yeah, um, the top executives all come. They come from around the world to collect the hardware, and it's powertrain so engineers can feel feel very underappreciated in this. <laughs> This is their moment in the spotlight. This is their Oscars. That's exactly right. Well, look, with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. But Drew, Christy, Steve, Tom, thanks so much for coming in. Very interesting. I can't wait uh, to have you guys go out and announce to the world who the the new 10 best are. Really cool having you. Thank you, John. Thank all of you for having tuned in for this. And join us again next week for Out of Line This Week. Production of Out of Line This Week is underwritten in part by... Did you know advanced high-strength steels are the leading material used by automakers to achieve the new fuel economy standards? Advanced high-strength steels are lighter in weight and reduce greenhouse gas emissions without compromising safety, performance, or affordability. Steel, a sound, sustainable investment. Today, tomorrow, and beyond. For more information, visit autosteel.org.
Why? Because plants need water to grow. Because baseball's played in the summer. Oxygen and hydrogen. Because I forgot to get a receipt. Why? Why not? Why? Why don't you go ask your dad? Do Sonata drivers know something you don't? The Sonata from Hyundai. Let's talk truth. When buying a car, we all want a great deal. Yet it's possible you could pay thousands more for the same car as your neighbor. That's why TrueCar provides upfront pricing information and a network of TrueCar certified dealers that guarantee savings without negotiation. Now, if someone paid too much for their car, well, it won't be you. So when buying a car, get guaranteed savings. Visit TrueCar.com.